ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to Blarney Books and thank you to Blarney Books for once again being a part of the Port Ferry Folk Festival. For those who don't know me, my name is Derek Field. I'm the Festival Ambassador, which means I get to choose which gigs I, um, I have anything to do with, which is why I'm here. We, um, I have a theory that inside each and every one of us there is a small child, but not many of us ever access that child as often as we should, and very few of us let that child out as we should. Uh, we, uh, Flacco came to our attention, Paul Livingston came to our attention as Flacco all those years ago, and as uh, it struck me instantly that this is someone whose inner child was pretty well viral. <laughs> whose inner child was just the most superb human being for all of the right reasons, for naivety and wisdom in the one package. And then uh, in my job on the wireless, I had the great privilege of sitting down with Paul to talk about one of his books. Uh, and it was a book about Flacco, written by Paul Livingston. So that separation is a, is a very important part of all of our inner children. Uh, because it's a, it's a real person, and yet it's not you. But it is. If you get, I love the contradiction in all of it. Now, contradictions make the world go around, I reckon. So I had the great pleasure of, of meeting Paul for the first time and uh, having become a fan and uh, uh, a not a devotee, but a, a follower of what Paul does. Paul paints, Paul writes, Paul sings, Paul entertains, uh, and Paul is just a remarkably lovely human being. And I would like you to welcome him here to talk about his books, to play for us, and to talk about his art, because we're also officially launching his exhibition. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Livingston. Now, I'd just like to say that my, um, my inner child is now a pensioner, so that's uh, a very wrinkly little creature. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, this afternoon. It's fantastic to be here at um, Blarney Books uh, and to be showing some of my artwork here. Uh, the exhibition's called Drawing on the Past, a 20-year uh, irrespective or contraceptive. I don't know what it is, but um, there's some genuine fake art for sale out there if you really need some in your life. I think one is actually called fake art. So, um, so I'll be doing uh, some readings um, and reading from my book and playing whatever this thing is, which I think is also a work of art. Um, beautiful guitar made by Paul Kinney, an Australian um, luthier. Um, and he's built this wonderful thing. Uh, it has no sound hole there. It has two on the side. So it's made for performers who only want to listen to themselves. So it's perfect for, perfect for me. So I'll be doing some uh, readings. And uh, I also launched my CD yesterday. Um, first ever CD I've ever done. So... Um, I'm very happy with that. Uh, well, I don't know if I'll be happy. Someone has to buy it first. So I'm hoping anyone here tonight or something or today could possibly purchase one. But what you do have today is the opportunity to actually win one if you stick around long enough. So that's how I've got you to stay in these seats. So um, there will be a test uh, at the end of the show. And there is this wonderful, wonderful CD that you can have. Um, okay, well, I might just uh, get down to it here. Um, did someone... Affirmative, mm, then. Did I hear one of those? It's good. Let's all get that out of our system. Mm. All right, well, look at this thing. It's quite amazing. Okay, uh, what have I got? Uh, 
I think we'll start with this one, the um, also for sale here today, going cheap. Uh, this is my latest book. It's, um, it's called Das, Their Part in My Downfall, On the Road with the Doug Anthony All-Stars. And it's basically how I survived for the past 25, 30 years working with those interesting men. Um, so I basically, I was hired by the company, um, um, who was it? Alan and Unwin, both Alan and Unwin. Alan's all right, Unwin's it. No. Anyway, um, so I was hired to write a, uh, a biography of the Doug Anthony All-Stars because they found out that, that they were on tour, that we were all on tour. Because I'd been pitching books for ages and they wouldn't give me one. And suddenly they found out there'd probably be money in it for them, so they gave me a book. But they wanted a, um, they wanted a biography of the All-Stars, but what I gave them was a memoir of my life on the road for 30 years. And it, so, you know, it's, it's a tragedy, basically. So uh, I'll just, um, what I'll do, I'll lay some music down for this that might be suitable uh, to read. Do this. Uh, it's still water, after all these years, it's still water. Um, so uh, I'll get that out of the way of that. And uh, I'll do a, uh, I'll lay down a little Doug Anthony All-Stars song. Well, it's not one of their songs. They, they ripped off everything. They, they don't have original bone in their body. Um, it's an old uh, Irish uh, folk tune called The Old Triangle. So this is my version of it, which is far better than they ever did. But um, we'll give it a go anyway. I love them. I really love them. You know that. Ha, fooled them again. Here we go. Uh, the Old Triangle. the bum note I could have I could have kept going <sighs> all right from now on this is a jazz concert and there are no bad notes <laughs> this was going really well too anyway no photos please I'm working <laughs> Oh, 
മികച്ച പ്രതിമനോട് upstage by myself so i had to turn it down uh okay um i'll just uh read oh, i've got some bookmarks here i had a little bookmark accident i pressed the wrong button on the bookmark thing on the on the uh on the computer i meant to get one of these and i got one of these so i just need a smaller book next time and i'll be fine okay oh no i don't put that down yet uh all right um so this um this first reading I think I'll do this one. Um, yeah. Uh, from the introduction to the book. Um, and it's my first memory of the Doug Anthony All-Stars. My first memory of the Doug Anthony All-Stars is a hot summer afternoon noon, during the Adelaide Fringe Festival in 1986. I had procured a, f- a pie floater from a payment... I can't speak. I'm popping my peas. <coughs> I procured... See, the problem is my writing is so intelligent, I can't even read it myself. The pie floater is perhaps the most impractical takeaway snack ever invented by an Australian. A meat pie face down, submerged in a lagoon of pea soup. I was sitting in Rundle Mall in blistering heat, gravy dripping into my lap, when three boys leapt into view. The first thing I recall is the smell, a rank, sour stench of sweat and denim. what did impress me was their shallowness on the surface here was a trio of pretty boys singing trite ditties in three-part harmonies the sweet songs were a form of enticement no sooner do you take a step into their world than they attack like a rabid pack of spider monkeys they clamored all over their audience scavenging handbags wallets neckties and small children i maintained a fair impression of disdainful aloofness until a certain spider monkey attempted to lap up the remains of my pie floater it's hard to remain cool with Paul McDermott burrowing into your groin in the cold light of a very hot day that's read one that's the introduction um now we'll move on to a chapter called the botany of the all stars so this is basically a description of what those men well what they what they meant to me in the early days and my first impressions um we'll start with Timothy Timothy Langbean Ferguson the young Timothy Ferguson could best be described as a slender larkspur a tall black knight delphinium tim was no wallflower he preferred full sun and was generally low maintenance although to this day he does attract the odd hummingbird Tim put down his roots and we gladly supplied his nutrients although he would occasionally require fertilization the hummingbirds took care of that mind you he did snap easily in high winds young richard fiedler was more your boab richard carried all his sustenance he needed in his swollen trunk enough life-giving supplies to get him through the rigors of the australian cultural desert regions Like most boabs, Richard often had the appearance of being upside down with his roots in the air. This was an illusion, for this Antipodean Adansonia harbored a well-adapted hidden root system, and as time has proved, when all the other plants around him had withered and dried up, Richard was able to sit it out and wait for the life-giving rains to come. Apparently, his growth rings fade as his trunk ages. 
but his genius has been known to live for more than 2,000 years. And that's a lot of conversations. Ah, uh, yes, you do know. Okay. He does have a listener. Uh, Paul McDermott is the brood parasite, a born manipulator who somehow, through charm or promised favour, manages to wriggle his way under your skin, feeding off your creative nutrients before claiming them as his own. The McDermott is a cross between the brown-headed cowbird and the great spotted cuckoo. Never needing a nest of his own, he contents himself with foraging in the nests of others and willingly produces more of his kind. By deploying an ingenious form of creative cuckoldry, he would swap his immature egg for one of yours, leaving you to inadvertently hatch his germ of an idea, which once hatched would be reclaimed by the brood parasite. And my role in all of this, I drew sustenance from Richard's trunk, occasionally watered Tim, and was the perfect host to McDermott's creative hatchlings. You can see why I love these people. Um, we'll do another little one from this. Um, so basically, as I said, I, you know, this book is a fake biography and I, I put a lot of my own stuff in here. And there's a lot of whinging and carrying on and things like that about the business and also about the writing business. And um, I don't know, but I found it to be the hardest thing I've ever done is to write. And there are paintings out here and, you know, play a bit of this strange looking guitar and things like that. But how many people here can actually play an instrument? Okay, a few of you. How many, how many fancy yourself as an artist, painter? Now, how, how many of you want to write a novel uh, when you retire? Now, usually the whole, the whole audience goes up when I ask that question. But obviously we have a lot of very intelligent people here and artists and stuff like that. Because most people think they're going to retire and just start writing as if it's very easy. But it's actually incredibly difficult. So uh, here's some advice to people who might have that um, ridiculous idea in their head. All right, here's what they don't tell you in those creative writing classes. The rewards, both financial and personal, are minimal. The default position of any writer is isolated, single and drunk. I should know. The novelty of sharing one's life with an artist wears thin very swiftly, especially if you are that artist. Writer's block is a term authors use when procrastination eventually wins out. The truth is, the entire process is one continual block. Every writer is blocked. Every step of the way, blocked. You never know what the next word is going to be. And if you decide on one word, you agonise over whether there might be a better one, or a preferable one, or a superior one, or a worthier one, or an exceptional one, or a surpassing one, or an unrivaled one. Surely there's something better than better, or at least a thesaurus with better words for better. There's no way out. You simply write straight through it, like I'm doing right now. Ah, that feels better. Or worthier. Or, no. Sometimes better is just better. Thank you. There's the book. Thank you. Um, I think we'll get rid of that, uh, that little piece of noise, ambient noise there. The CD, uh, by the way, this little thing here with a picture of that guitar and me, um, the CD is, uh, it's quite ambient music. It, there's no jokes or anything on here. It's quite um, sort of herbal healing, peppermint tea kind of music, that kind of thing that carry on. 
it's sort of, you know, when you're getting your back cupped or you use candle or whatever you people do. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like uh, uh, musical homeopathy. It's full of absolutely nothing that's really worth listening to. So, uh, I don't know. I'm never going to sell anything the way I go on about my stuff. All right. Um, now, this one, Absent Without Leave, uh, probably the only genuine thing I've ever done in my life. Um, it's a real book. Uh, it's a memoir biography of my father's life in World War II. It's called Absent Without Leave, The Private War of Private Stanley Livingston. So uh, my father was like a lot of those men, you know, who went to war. He was in northern Africa and Borneo and Japan, frontline infantry guy. And he never, he never really spoke about it much while he was alive. And he said very little since, from what I know. So um, uh, it means a lot to me. What's going on there? Oh, we all know that feeling. I don't, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to fix it. Help, help. Does anyone know how to fix it? Do you, know what to, do you know what I'm supposed to pull? I got it. I see. I see. My inner child has to work everything out for itself. Is that what's going on here? All right. Uh, so I'll put down a bit of music for this one as well and do a couple of reads from this. Um, I think uh, I'll do another Doug Anthony All-Star song. Uh, this one's possibly the most beautiful song they've ever written. I think it's the only beautiful song they've ever written. Um, Paul McDermott's lyrics are wonderful, but I'm not going to bother with those here. I'm just going to uh, do the music for you. It's called War Song. It's really lovely. You got time for this? <laughs> I'll do it faster this time. I, I, I go up here, I think. Does anyone know the notes on a guitar? Because I, I know nothing about music.
second time around. Um, I said my father didn't uh, speak much about the war and he didn't but he gave me one or two anecdotes that I remember from when I was a little kid so um, I'll just uh, relive one of those for you here. Um, this is a memory uh, of the first war story my father ever shared with me and I was no more than 10 years old quietly putting the finishing touches on my scale model airfix Messerschmitt BF-162 bomber. Now, exactly where the incident he related occurred, I can't recall. It's not that I wasn't listening. As a child, I was riveted by the tale. But in retrospect, I can see that the where did not matter as much as the what. I can narrow it down to somewhere in the northern African desert. For the image burned into my mind is of a soldier wandering across a vast open plain with an enemy fighter bearing down on him. And given that I was at the time gluing the wings onto the Messerschmitt bomber, the desert location seemed plausible. Now, the gist of the story was this. Somewhere in this western desert, while strolling across an isolated airstrip, Private Stanley Livingston, alone and unarmed, came under fire from an enemy bomber strafing the airfield. Stanley found himself in a fair bit of strafe, and the only thing he had on him was a blanket. As the bomber swooped, Private Livingston lay prostrate on the airstrip, huddled under the blanket as a machine gun bullet sprayed all around him. The futility of his actions only occurred to him later on. A drowning man will clutch at a straw. A 23-year-old private being dive-bombed by a German fighter aircraft will clutch at anything. And with no hole to leap into, a blanket would have to do. Surviving the attack unscathed, the shaken private picked himself up and continued on to do whatever it is a private does when he heads out alone into the desert with only a blanket for company. So that's one of the only things he ever told me about the whole deal. Um, the book is also about uh, my parents, a love story between my parents at the time as well. So it was also my mother's story. Um, and my brother used to... Uh, he had a cassette recorder and he would record my mother because she was too shy to actually say anything. She's a very shy woman. And he'd put the, re the cassette recorder on the fridge and just talk to her and get these stories out of her because she didn't want to talk to anyone. And so after she went, my brother handed me all these tapes with our mother and all these stories that she had about the war and things like that. And it just made me wonder um, what the hell, he, where else he put that cassette recorder and what, he, what he's got on me from my youth as well. 
He hasn't brought those up yet. Um, so this is, um, yeah, my mother's words are in here as well, which is lovely. Uh, and um, so this is my mother's story, being in Australia while her beloved partner is overseas. Um, whilst Private Stanley Livingston followed a thin white line towards Rommel's front line in a northern African desert, Evelyn Lonsdale was gainfully employed. Having been called up, she too was in the army now. Evelyn had outshone every other student at Mascot Primary School, receiving a scholarship to attend a private girls' school in the city. She'd seized the opportunity, devouring books, learning languages. Music was her great love, and the piano her instrument of choice. Her skills on the piano were not so much in demand when it came to wartime occupations, but a grasp of mathematics qualified her for a position, making tools for and repairing military aircraft. Evelyn talked with great fondness of her days riveting bombers in the hangars at Mascot Airport, a duty she found far from challenging, and this is her. I had a man on one side of the wing and I was on the other. I couldn't see him. All I could do was hear him. You had to be very careful and I had the rivet gun. You had to go gently so you didn't hurt the aluminium of the plane, but that was all there was to it. Then when he'd done a wing, that, that, that'd be it for the next few hours, go and get lost. And I was getting men's wages, I couldn't believe it. This was an easy place. You'd sneak out and go to the canteen, have a coffee. You did so much and no more. We used to go outside and sit in the sun. And the Air Force boys would come out and sit with us and we'd all be sitting there having a party. I could never figure it out, I did so little. And I used to think, is this how men earn their money? You know, I'd, I'd been working hard at the pharmaceutical company and I just couldn't believe it. Um, now, the last little one I'll do from this book. Um, uh, towards the end of the book, I just sort of talk about my time uh, later on in their lives when I was a young kid growing up in a barbershop in Mascot. Yeah, I grew up in a barbershop, come on. I don't know. Yeah, I've never paid for a haircut in my life. No, I never needed to, I know. Um, so this is about the, a little bit about me here. Um, so Stanley would have been, oh, I don't know, in his mid-40s or something at this stage. Uh, Stanley continued to see his army, army buddies once a year on Anzac Day. Stan was never marching to glory. He was marching to the pub as fast as he could to join his mates for a quiet beer or nine. After his illness, Stanley couldn't march much anymore, but he never missed a post-march reunion. He wasn't unhappy in retirement, he had his cats and the dog. He was a magnet for any stray in the area. At one stage he had six tabbies in his care. He bawled his eyes out when one of them died. Meanwhile, I was having the joy of learning well and truly beaten out of me in high school on the inskirts of Sydney. That had its own policy for dealing with boys who refused to stick to the straight and narrow-minded. The cure for boys like myself and other underachieving miscreants was to force us into attending classes such as home economics, typing and art. Now, sharing a classroom with actual girls was meant to somehow embarrass us into embracing more testosterone-fueled subjects such as commerce, mathematics, woodwork, metalwork and science. But their attempts simply instilled in me a passionate desire to cook, paint and write. I clearly remember sitting at the back of a sewing class, sandwiched between two much larger, visibly and physically agitated males, making no eye contact as we tried to ignore the sniggers of our female classmates. I recall the verve with which I wove with needle and cotton in a, as masculine a hand as I could manage, the outline of a 1971 Valiant Charger 
into a sheet of brown hessian. When I arrived home with my school project, Evelyn seemed genuinely proud. Stanley just went a bit quiet. So there you go, there's that one as well. Now, you're probably not going to believe this, but I actually, I brought along the piece of hessian. I have it with me. After my mum passed away and my brother and I were going through all the stuff in the house, we, uh, we uncovered um, a little museum of me that, um, and a museum of him as well. Evelyn had kept absolutely everything. Absolutely everything we ever had was there, packed away in boxes and stuff like that. And sure enough, in one corner, I mean, this is genuine art, this one. I'm not faking this. I didn't just make it up. Here is the Valiant Charger. <laughs> There it is, the result of much embarrassment by sitting in that class. Beautiful. That's not for sale, by the way. That's um, a precious object. Um, okay, what else have I got for you here? I think we'll do now. How are we going for time? Yeah, we're doing all right. Um, now, I, I once wrote a novel, uh, my one and only novel, uh, called The Dirt Bath. Um, and I'll do a little reading from that. Um, I won't tell you what it's about. I'll just, I'll just read from it. I think it's curious enough. So um, I'll put down another bit of music for, for this one. Hello, fish. Thanks for coming along. Um, I'll do... I think I'll stick to this Doug Anthony All-Stars thing. Um, McDermott... Um, oh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> shouldn't call him by his second name. Um, Mr McDermott, uh, when I was being recently touring with those boys... And um, most of the most of the All Star songs are pretty simple. It's just you know, not, not, they didn't even sound that good with that effect. It was more. So um, I, I get really bored playing those kind of things. So I I take his songs. This one's Stone Crows, one of his better ones. Um, and I just I just did this to it. I, I, I try and fiddle fiddle around with fiddly stuff and it really gave him the shits and that really pleased me <laughs> so uh, well, I had to do something when you're the guitarist you don't know what to do so what I'll do now um, I'll do a really sweet little slow version of that um, which um, but don't tell him that I'm doing this because uh, he hates it when I do nice things for him um, The second time is always working better for me, I think. This was how the residents of Mortdale prepared for Friday night. They went somewhere else. 
People were addicted to somewhere else. Pleasure lay elsewhere. Where you are cannot be the best place to be. They searched for the hub. Hub seekers left Mortdale in droves on Friday nights. They went to Hurstville. People in Hurstville went somewhere else. And so on. And so forth. Until we arrived back at Mortdale. Yet no one came to Mortdale. Because they were somewhere else. Henry Finger was nowhere else. He stared at the wall. His dog scratched. No other sound. Everyone was somewhere else. Else. Peculiar word when you think about it. What is an else? Where else? Who else? Or else? Needs companion words, does else. Else cannot exist on its own. Unlike Henry. Henry was alone. Lonely as an else. There you go. Might leave that on. The fish are enjoying it. Oh, actually, I think it's dead. Oh, that's all right. Um, all right. Um, what do you reckon? Uh, anyone, uh, anyone remember Flacco in this room? Yeah? Oh, you! I know you do. Screamed out at yesterday's concert. The only person in the room. Yeah. Um, so. Look, I brought his hat because I can't, I can't grow the curl anymore, you know. It was a wig, let's face it, it was a wig, you can't hide behind it all your life. Um, but I brought his hat and I can, you know, I can't do the high register singing thing, I can't do the low register thing. I just, used to have a really great register either side, now it's just register in the middle there and it's, it's, it doesn't register with me anymore. But I can do a bit of throat, so I've got the hat and throat and I've got uh, the, the, the uh, paintings out there are from two books, Flacco books, the Flacco Files and Flacco's Burnt Offerings. The artwork is for sale. The books are, are long gone. Um, but um, the paintings are for sale. And so I've got Flacco's Burnt Offerings here. So I'll do a few of those. I'll put the hat on. I'll put on the throat and away we'll go. I think I'd better put on some suitable music though because he's not, uh, he's not ambient, is he? Um, he's kind of... Um, I don't know, what would you call him? He's kind of like a jazz, a jazz, um, a jazz comedian. Although he's a bit, he's quite accessible for jazz, so he's more like a jazz blues kind of thing, I think. So, um, we'll give that a shot. How you going?
Tuesday, 2 a.m. I woke up only to find that I put my neck out. I could hear it scratching at the door. I tried to call out of it, but I lost my voice. It had eloped after finding that it loved the sound of itself. By midday, my eyes were peeled, my lips were sealed, and my ears were pricked. I waited with bait all over my breath. 5 a.m. I woke up to myself, released my bowel, and let my mind wander. So now I just sit around waiting for inspiration. You know, you can wait for inspiration till the cows come home. Just what is it about procrastination that attracts beef? 6 a.m. I was sitting on a park bench, watching a dog foolishly barking up the wrong tree. Just sitting there, cogitating. Next to me was an old cogitating. The old man was nearing the end of his days. Fortunately, he had amassed a large backlog of nights, which he planned to survive on for several years, while he waited for death to put him out of his mystery. And so, I hear you ask, well, I don't hear you, I'm speaking orthodontically. What is the meaning of death? Well, death is a transition from matter to doesn't matter. It's a cruel world. There you go. Uh, do another little one here. Oh, sorry. I'll do another little one here. This is me, and that's like a, it's a big difference. These two people. So, um, oh, so um, here we go. Yeah. This one's called The Joy of Sloth. Tuesday. They all start like that, by the way. They all start like that, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, I'm enjoying myself now. I beg your pardon. Tuesday, 2 a.m. I threw a baby out with the bathwater. How it got in there in the first place is anyone's guess. You see, my home has become infested with infants. I don't know how they're getting in. 3 a.m. After following a trail of Kimbies, I discovered a little uncircumcised nine-pounder teething on the sideboard. I tried to lure it out with a rusk, but it turned on me. It took me two hours to prize it from my nipple. 5 a.m. In an effort to deter them, I sprinkled infanticide all over the floorboards. To no avail. If you find you have this problem in your own home, whatever you do, don't become attached to them. For in no time at all, they'll eat you out of house and home, reach adolescence, and eventually inherit everything you've ever strived to achieve. It's a cruel world. Thank you. Um, well, I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll do a couple more. Um, I might just change the, uh, change the track. So I'm quite enjoying that one, but um, there it goes. You'll never hear that again. It's not being recorded. It's a loop pedal. Gone. Um, but I'll, I'll stick to the jazz thing. I'll put another little bit of jazzy, fake jazz, not real jazz. Here we go.
It's very nice. It's like after dinner music. I haven't even eaten yet. How do you like that fish? Are you happy with that? They're dancing. Okay. All right. Did I say the cover art is uh, hanging in there? Did I say that? The uh, the dirt bath. The book is very hard to find, but um, the original artwork is in the next room there. So uh, I don't know if it's been sold, but if it hasn't, I'll throw the book in if you buy it. <laughs> um, oh, I had the hat on when I said all that. Damn. Ah, all right. Um, I'm not reading that. All right, uh, a little more flacco, I think. He doesn't get out much these days, and he's quite pleased with himself. All right. Guess how this one starts. Any guesses? All, all together, on the count of three. That's very enthusiastic, I can't believe it. Tuesday, 2 a.m. I sit in the gutter. Head in my hands. I had found the head in a wheelie bin on East 42nd Street. I had a pretty good idea who it belonged to. Male, Caucasian, blood-stained, no head. I held it out before me. I stared into its eyes. And there was my next clue. We were both the same height. 3 a.m. Couldn't sleep. Head appeared to have nodded off. I heard a knock at the door. Who is it? I ejaculated. I hate it when that happens. Suddenly a police officer burst in and held a gun to the head. The head squealed. I tried not to eavesdrop. When I moved to within earshot, he shot my ear off. I probably sought out a friend, a Roman, or in desperation a countryman to lend me one of theirs. 4am, the head was charged, but it wouldn't stand up in court. It kept toppling over. The judge was lenient. Judge lenient gave the head a short sentence, for there was no way it could have ever survived another paragraph. It's a cruel world. It's amazing what you let me get away with. I tell you, it's amazing what you let me get away um, We'll do another one to this beautiful music. I feel like a cocktail now. Uh, Tuesday, <laughs> 2 a.m. The phone rings. I answer it in my pyjamas. What the phone was doing in my pyjamas is none of your business. I mean, a guy can get pretty lonely in the big city. And at 2 a.m., Sometimes a phone can look pretty damned inviting. Unfortunately, the phone was engaged. Heartbroken, I left the room. But first, I turned off the lamp. For the night before, I'd inadvertently turned it on. It took me hours to convince it I just wanted to be good friends. I walked into the bedroom, and I noticed that my bed was single. So I put the hard word on it. Sly little hussy, I thought, as I slid my hand between the sheets. When this brought no complaints, I tore back its doona. And before I knew it, we were sleeping together. 5 a.m., I woke up and the bed was still there. Fearing commitment, I 
got up and left without a sound. It's a cruel world. Okay. Now I'm going to. Uh, what I'm going to do now is a. Uh, Thank you. Um, what I'm going to do now? What I'm going to no, Which voice do I do? I've forgotten. Uh, what I'm going to do now? This is a more recent kind of Flacco thing I did. I got this gig uh, a few years ago uh, in Sydney for the Archibald Prize. It was uh, they invited me to be the after dinner speaker at the um, the big dinner they have at the Art Gallery in New South Wales there. And foolishly, I took on the gig, and um, I'm sitting there. You know, I couldn't even eat. I was so nervous. I thought, how am I going to, what am I going to say in front of these people? Because, you know, it was all A-list people. It was all artists. You know, artists have no sense of humour. They're just arrogant. And, you know, the Premier was there and all these politicians. I thought, I'm, I'm supposed to be this clown, this jester who's got to get up there and entertain these kind of, kind of people, you know. And I was terrified. But somehow it worked. So I'd written a special piece, a kind of Flacco 2am kind of piece. But I think it worked because I made them feel like they were intelligent, which was probably the only important thing to them being there that night. They wanted to think they were in the know and they had a bit of knowledge about art and stuff like that. So what I did, I wrote a piece and I mentioned a lot of artists in it and um, I did this thing where it's a competition and you have to count the number of artists in the thing. So they had something to do and it made them feel they were a little smarter than the other one if they could count more artists. So I went really well. So how many people here think they're art literate? How many would say that? This is going to go really well. <laughs> um, well, look, what I, see, I've got, the C, I've got a CD here that I want to give away and I was going to give it to anyone who can count the correct number of artists. But let, for you people, let's say the closest <laughs> that you get to it. We'll, we'll give you a CD. So, uh, you know, and so you can feel a bit intelligent about yourself as well. Um, so, uh, all right, we'll give this a go. I'll, I'll put some music down for this. Um, Another bit of uh, a bit of fake jazz too. I think I think we should do that. Um, this one, this bit of fake jazz. I actually, it's really good for music shops. I was I was in there was a, a music shop um, in Sydney called Jackson's Rare Guitars, and I used to go in there. And they're intimidating places, music shops. I hate going in, but I just learned this little riff, like, which sounds like jazz. It sounds a lot like jazz, but I don't know what it is. And um, I'd walked, I walked in there and I picked up a guitar, a really nice guitar, and I started. And all of a sudden, they're, they're all around me and they're giving me all these other guitars and stuff like that. And I'm really impressed because apparently, it, apparently that sounds like real jazz. I think the real stuff and the fake stuff sounds pretty much the same when it comes to jazz. But unfortunately, by about guitar four, they started every time. And then they walked away from me. They, they were onto it pretty quickly. But um, it's a good little trick if you want to learn it. Um, I'll try and do something like this. I think. That sounds like jazz to me. Now, I'm not going to do a solo over that because that would be really embarrassing. Although, you know, it, it would still sound like jazz. All right, um, get ready for this one. Uh, start counting. There's a CD in it for all of you. One of you. And you too. Okay. I think they're probably more art literate than you, Bomb. Anyway. Here we go. Tuesday, 
2 a.m. I was driving down the street. And when I saw a flashing light. I took my foot off the gas and got out of the car low. I turned it around. Immediately, I smelled bacon. Yes, it was a police van. Out stepped a constable, or it could have been a sergeant. As she walked towards me, her shoes went climped, climped, climped. My mouth was Drysdale. Matisse the problem, officer, I said. She pointed to my rear view mirror. Warhol, I cried. Nolan told me that my mirror was Baroque. <laughs> ah, you people are as good as the uh, art gallery audience. You didn't tell me the hat. Have you lost count? Good. Oh, I see how we're going. All right. Uh, what was the last thing I said? What was the last artist I said? Put it in my ear. Oh, look, I'm dead. Um, I pointed to, to rearview mirror. That's the last thing I said. Oh no, I said I did the Warhol line, didn't I? Well, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say Warhol again, but it only counts as one. Okay, for the sentence. Whoa, I cried. <laughs> Nolan told me that my Miro was Baroque. Then I'll have to fine injure you, she said. But alas, I had no money. It's okay, officer. I'll come widely. Dali, she whispered in earnest. Don't be afraid. Perhaps you'd like to pop over and grab some tucker. She shouted, she shouted with glee. Clearly I'd made a good impressionist. But she looked like my great-grandmother. <laughs> she said, if you comply, I won't be pressed in charges. By this stage, I'm thinking this woman is completely looby. Suddenly, she drove down a dark ollie. She stopped the carlo and invited me in. I smelt a shirat, but what could I do? She said, I hope you like pets, because I got a lot of little boys. Once inside, she said, I'd offer you some food, but my cabin is bare. I said, look, I better go. She said, don't be sisly, and offered me a Fra Angelico and Coke. I took a sip, but I failed to notice that she spiked my drink. It was fragging hard to swallow. And then I started to lose the trek. Next thing I know, I woke up the next morning, busting for a Pizarro. <laughs> I said, what's for breakfast? She said, egg on Sheila. It was either that or Rococo Pops. After breakfast, she went back to bed, pulled the quilty over her head and said, Got to leave so soon? I said, Yeah. Where can I hail a cassab around here? She wasn't happy. She accused me of being an emotional clipple. I said, See you later, and wandered out into the still of the morning. Well, that was a load of pollocks. Okay. Okay, how many artists? Ah, who said 43? It's you. You got it. Congratulations.
nice then too. <laughs> um, okay, well, I've, I'm just about done here. I'm very happy with um, how you treated me, so thank you very much. Um, and I'll just do, um, I'll just do an old favourite. Um, uh, I've got to put the hat on first. Uh, I do an old favourite Flacco one. People seem to enjoy this one. It's, um, it's sorry. Well, I'm not doing the voice yet. I got it's the hat's waiting. Get, don't get pushy now. Behave yourselves. You too. Um, this is an, an open letter to God that Flacco wrote one day. That's going on now, pedantic people. <clears throat> Dear almighty creator of perpetual munificence, how goes it, omnipotent one? Having recently read your engaging collection of short stories... I was hoping you might make some time, as indeed is your want, to respond to my humble queries. <clears throat> Firstly, does the epistle of the apostle of St. Peter at the altar alter Paul's apocalyptic episodic epigram involving David and Goliath whose Old Testament relieth on the strength of Moses' tablets and a brightly burning bush? And was it that someone catharted that the waters did departed? Or the fallacies of Pharisees whose phallocentric fantasies have paraphrased the epithet believed to which we are thus led? that catechisms of Catholicity, whose own epistemology declares quite categorically, I have on good authority the immaculate conception that your son was born a lamb. <laughs> P.S. Give my love to the Holy Spirit, and if he happens to be in the area, tell him he's welcome any time to drop by and dwell within me. Amen, and thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. Uh, Paul will be around to sign books, so there's plenty of books for sale. That, uh, not the ones that you can't get anymore, but the ones that you can still get, and the new ones. And the artwork, of course, is outside, so check it out. Thank you for coming. Enjoy the rest of the festival. And thanks particularly to Blarney Books, who look after us every year here with some wonderful launch stuff. It's just a fabulous part of the Port Free Folk Festival every year, so thanks, guys. Thank you.